The scripture reading for this morning is taken from the prophecies of Jeremiah. We'll be reading Jeremiah chapter 18, the verses 1 to 23. Jeremiah 18, the verses 1 to 23. And you'll be able to find that on page 891 of your book of praise, or of your pew Bible, pardon me. Jeremiah at this point in time has been praying for and prophesying to the people of Judah. This is after the exile of Israel to the north, and this is in warning of another coming exile, another coming judgment. He's just finished saying that some terrible, terrible judgments are going to come upon them, a siege like they have never experienced before in, in their lifetimes. And this next section that we are going to be reading is a response to that great warning. It's a word of compassion and it's a, a word of mercy from the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 18, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise, go down to the potter's house and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house and there he was, making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look, as the clay is in the potter's hands, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom, to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I fought to bring upon it. And the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to plant it, to build it up and to plant it, if it does evil in my sight so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good with which I said I would benefit it. Now therefore speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am fashioning a disaster and devising a plan against you. Return now every one from his evil way and make your ways and your doings good. And here's the response of the people. And they said, that is hopeless. So we'll walk according to our own plans. And we will, everyone, obey the dictates of his evil heart. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Ask now among the Gentiles, who has heard such things? The virgin of Israel has done a very horrible thing. Will a man leave the snow water of Lebanon, which comes from the rock of the field? Will the cold flowing waters be forsaken for strange waters? Because my people have forgotten me, they have burned incense to worthless idols, and they have caused themselves to stumble in their ways from the ancient paths, to walk in pathways and not on a highway, to make their land desolate and a perpetual hissing. Everyone who passes by it will be astonished and shake their head, 
I will scatter them as with an east wind before the enemy. I will show them the back and not the face in the day of their calamity. Then they said, Come, and let us devise plans against Jeremiah. For the law shall not perish from the priest, nor counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophet. Come, let us attack him with a tongue, and let us not give heed to any of his words. Now here Jeremiah speaks to the Lord in response to these words. Give heed to me, O Lord, and listen to the voice of those who contend with me. Shall evil be repaid for good? For they have dug a pit for my life. Remember that I stood before you to speak good for them, to turn away your wrath from them. Therefore, Deliver up their children to famine and pour out their blood by the force of the sword. Let their wives become widows and bereaved of their children. Let their men be put to death, their young men be slain by the sword in battle. Let a cry be heard from their houses when you bring a troop suddenly upon them. For they have dug a pit to take me and hidden snares for my feet." Yet, Lord, you know all their counsel, which is against me to slay me. Provide no atonement for their iniquity, nor blot out their sin from your sight, but let them be overthrown before you. Deal thus with them in the time of your anger. We'll also look ahead very briefly to Hebrews chapter 12, page 1383. Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. So with that in mind, we'll be reflecting on those final words of Jeremiah, chapter 18, verse 23. Yet, Lord, you know all their counsel, which is against me, to slay me. Provide no atonement for their iniquity, nor blot out their sin from your sight, but let them be overthrown before you, Deal thus with them in the time of your anger. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who is this man? Jeremiah. Many of us know him because of the fact that there's a book in the Bible that's named after him, but who is he, really? Jeremiah is a former priest of the Lord, a man who would stand in the temple, and as he's offering... His offerings would provide atonement for Israel, for their sins. His task was to stand in the breach between heaven and earth. To offer up the offerings that they would bring for the sake of their sins. We learn that he's a prophet from chapter 1 of his book, that he served in the town of Anathoth and Benjamin, and that his career as a prophet 
started in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, 627 B.C. His career here comes about 100 years after the fall of Israel and their exile that followed right after. Now, Jeremiah here comes at a difficult time in Jewish history. The nation of Judah no longer has a fellow Jewish nation, Israel, to the north. They are now a lonely island surrounded by pagan influences. And the people that he's dealing with are also difficult in their own way. They are generations removed from the exile that took place before that, this punishment of God. And because of that, they didn't take God's statements very seriously anymore. They didn't take God seriously anymore, nor the servants whom God sent to them. But during this time, Jeremiah still served faithfully because he loved the Lord and he loved the people of God. We can see that he served from 627 to a little after 586, which was the year of Judah's exile. So for about 41 years, he preached. He had the fall of Israel fresh in his mind, even when others didn't. But it didn't seem to help much. His preaching didn't stop Judah's slide into exile. Jeremiah's book tells us that only two men, that Jer- of only two men that Jeremiah's preaching seems to have impacted in a significant way. His scribe Baruch was converted, as was an Ethiopian eunuch named Ebed-Melech, a servant of the king. But beyond these two, nobody else in 41 years seems to have changed. And now, after his faithful service for quite a period of time, this, this prophecy comes partway through this period of 41 years. Now it seems that the people have completely rejected him. In fact, they plot against him. And after all of his years of faithful service, this is enough to exhaust him. It seems like he's given up. It seems like he is throwing this nation of his to the wolves. And so we come to our theme today. In Jeremiah's failure and grief, Christ shows himself victorious. We'll see, first of all, the heart of the prophet. Second, the situation that broke him. And third, the Christ who fulfills him. It wasn't always this way. Jeremiah wasn't always so exhausted, so done. He seems very hurt and tired in our passage today, but there was a time when things were different. Time and time again, Jeremiah has been like that man who stands in the gap of a city wall with an army coming on. God has spoken of judgment again and again. And little things had come along that were signs of God's greater coming judgment. In chapter 14, you can read about a drought that took place as a warning. And Jeremiah spoke to the people, reminding them that the drought came because of the way that they were living. 
And yet he continued to stand in the breach, to stand in the gap. In verses 7 to 9 of that chapter, Jeremiah had prayed fervently for this people. He said, O Lord, though our iniquities testify against us, do it for your name's sake. Show mercy for your name's sake, for our backslidings are many. We have sinned against you. O the hope of Israel, his Savior in time of trouble, why should you be like a stranger in the land and like a traveler who turns aside to tarry for a night? Why should you be like a man astonished, like a mighty one who cannot save? Yet you, O Lord, are in our midst, and we are called by your name. Do not leave us. In verse 10 of that chapter, however, God had made it clear that his decision of judgment on them was final, saying, they have loved to wander thus. They have not restrained their feet. Therefore, the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. Exile would come. All of Jeremiah's interventions as a priest. And all of Jeremiah's interventions as a prophet coming before the Lord in prayer would no longer help. Extra time that was brought would only increase their guilt because they would not use it to turn back to the Lord. They would simply double down on their wickedness, God said, and so exile would come. Jeremiah must continue preaching, but his preaching was not meant to turn them from sin anymore. Rather, it was meant to shine a light into the dark corners of the hearts of the people of Judah and to expose everything that was there, the wickedness and the sin, so that when exile came, everyone would know that the Lord had good reason for it. Still, what Jeremiah did and what he continued to do during this time And what God needed to say to Jeremiah to tell him, stop praying for this people because I have a different plan for this people is quite something. It shows that Jeremiah still held out hope for the people of God. He prayed fervently for the people of God, not only when they had turned away from God, but also when he himself felt like he was feeling the effects of life among his wicked neighbors. Chapter 12, verse 1 of his book. He was likely suffering like any of the fellow believers in Judah were from government decisions that promoted idolatry, from neighbors who celebrated wickedness, and more. And yet, he continued to pray. In this, Jeremiah is a picture of our greater prophet, Jesus Christ, of our Savior and our Lord. In his most bitter hours, even when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before his crucifixion, Jesus prayed for his people. The famous high priestly prayer of John 17 shows that when Jesus was in the darkest moments of his life, he first thought, Of his people. He prayed to his father that he would preserve his little church through this time. He prayed not just for them, but for all who would be his, even those that were rejecting him at this time. 
that the Father would love them with the love which, with which he himself was loved. You realize what this means, right? This means that in his darkest hour, he was also praying for you and for me. Even when they were on the cross, when they were mocking him and spitting at him, he prayed, Father, do not hold this sin against them, for they don't know what they are doing. Where everyone else withdraws from the world and turns inwards to protect themselves from pain, Christ's heart turns outwards in his suffering. Judgment for the sin of humanity, was and is certain. But Jesus still persisted in love and in prayer. In your darkest hours, loved ones, when your heart is turned inwards and you feel like you're being swallowed up by the bitterness of your own sorrow, remember Jesus. Remember the one who turned his heart outwards during his time of greatest distress, and who remembered you. This brings us to our second point, the situation that broke Jeremiah. Jeremiah's continuing in prayer shows us that this is the kind of man that Jeremiah was, in some small way reflecting the characteristics and the attributes of our Savior who was to come. But then we reach our passage today. Jeremiah is at his wit's end. And then comes the tipping point. And here's where he throws in the towel. He's broken, he's exhausted, and his work seems to be bearing no fruit in his eyes anymore. He doesn't even want to pray for them anymore. Have you ever been at this point? Pouring your heart and soul into people And there seeming to be so little in return. You've been praying for them and asking God to intervene. And perhaps instead someone even responded to you with anger or with sin. And you're tired. And you're exhausted. Is this all your hard work has led to? And you feel like throwing up your hands. God knows that we need passages like this. That the saints of old struggled with the very same sorrows and griefs that we ourselves struggle with. And though they leaned into the wind and kept hiking for a time, that they still reached a point in which they gave up and they lay down exhausted. That they gave in to their weakness, their exhaustion, and their feeling overwhelmed. Jeremiah, at the beginning of his book, had wanted to do, even at the beginning of this very chapter, had wanted to do nothing more than save them. The Lord had warned them. At the beginning of chapter 18, you can see how the Lord had warned them using the picture of the potter. A potter is a person who uses clay and who shapes it and who forms it. And he makes beautiful things out of clay for every purpose. Pots for storage pots for decoration, and more. And after that, he sticks it into the fire and he hardens it so that it can be used for that. But clay, before it's hardened in the fire, while it's still being shaped and formed into a pot on the potter's wheel, 
can very easily still be changed. It can very easily be squished down and reformed into something else if something starts to go wrong while they're making this pot. God was warning the people of Jeremiah through verses 1 to 11 in our passage, saying it's easy for him to reshape their future in the same way. If they go away from him, he can easily squish their future like a potter squishes clay and turn it into something else. But if they turn to him, even though he has prophesied disaster, and he had, with the prophecy of exile that came right before that, if they turn to him, he can very easily squish that future that's been prophesied and form a different future that brings them back to him. Jeremiah desperately wanted the people that he loved, his people, to repent and turn from this coming disaster, to have this future that he had just prophesied be taken away, be changed, just like the potter changed a pot on his wheel. And so he preached this to the people This message which was actually still a message of hope. This message that said that they still even now had time to return to God, though judgment was proclaimed. But what was their response? They rejected him. First in verse 11 they say, we want to keep doing what we want. They say, we're going to follow our own heart. And then they follow that up in verse 18 with a plot to kill Jeremiah, those evil words that they speak, Jeremiah sees where they lead and prays to the Lord. He sees that it is a plot to kill him. That is what breaks Jeremiah. His love and his heart was poured out for them. His whole career up up to that point, he had given everything for them. And they responded with bitterness and with hate. And so he throws in the towel. Now, on reading verses 19 to 23, as you were going through it, you may have been shocked at the kind of things that Jeremiah says in these verses. Isn't he wishing horrible things on them? But we need to be clear here. Jeremiah isn't wishing anything new on them. These things that he's describing is the punishment that God has said will happen all along. These are things that he's been trying to protect his people from. He's been standing in the breach between God and his people, praying for them to protect them from exactly this, and now they want to kill him for it. He says, God, they can't stand me. They've dug a pit for my life. If they don't want me here and they're going to act in that way, in a way that's extreme enough to take me away by killing me, then I'm just going to step aside. If I'm dead, I'm not there to protect them, to pray for them, to intervene for them anyways. So I may as well just step aside. And then all of the things that Jeremiah had warned for them would come rushing in. 
Jeremiah in publishing this to the people as well is essentially saying, see, you want me gone? Sure, fine. Then God, do what you said you would to this people. And here comes our verse of judgment today, verse 23. Lord, you know all their counsel, which is against me, to slay me. Provide no atonement for their iniquity, nor blot out their sin from your sight, but let them be overthrown before you. Deal thus with them in the time of your anger. He has been praying thus far that God would provide atonement, which is to say, provide forgiveness for their sins, provide a payment for their sin. And this has been his whole task as priest. But now he says, deal with them as you promised. Dark words, aren't they? But to a certain, under, to a certain extent, we understand them. All of us have our breaking points. Points in which we can't carry, we feel we can't carry our burdens any longer. Days in which we just feel like giving up. It can almost be a relief to know that saints of old had them too. God is showing us that we're not alone in this. That our sorrows are known by him and shared by him. But it also leaves us with a feeling of uncertainty, doesn't it? Because we also know that we are the ones who so often go astray, don't we? We understand those words that Jeremiah speaks. Deal with them as they deserve. And yet, we fear them. Because if God deals with us according to our sins, we would be swept away. As one translation describes in Isaiah 64, verse 6, like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. Every one of us. Though we sympathize with Jeremiah and we know that he's within his rights to just give up and walk away, we fear it because we see in the people of Israel, in the people of Judah, a reflection of our own sins. We see what we need in our own hearts. We need someone who will not give up, don't we? This brings us to our third point, the Christ who fulfills him. This is where we turn our eyes to Christ. But as we do that, I first want to ask you a question here. How often have you felt that Jesus Christ is like Jeremiah here? How often have you felt that there's a point when he's just going to throw up his hands and give up on you? Or maybe not even give up on you, but at least have days in which he throws up his hands, days in which he, like a mom or dad with a frustrating child whom they still love, but is driving them nuts that day, throws up his hands and walks away for a time. Is this your picture of Jesus? Do you see him as, yes, being patient, but on the border of anger, 
ready to walk away in frustration, grieved by the things that you ought to have done and did not do, and disappointed by the things that you did do that you ought not to have done, and nothing else. But here's the beauty of our passage today. Jeremiah doesn't become Christ to us. Rather, Jeremiah in his failure points to the perfect person that Christ would be and is for us. Because where Jeremiah failed and where Jeremiah in his humanity broke down, Christ abounds in grace. Think again to those words of Hebrews 12, especially verses 2 to 3. We read there the call to run the race of the Christian life. We read that it is to be done looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. What did Jesus do? God had promised punishment for sin. He guaranteed what was coming. But Jesus not only had patience with his people, Jesus not only continued to intervene for his people, Jesus also didn't say provide no atonement for their iniquity. Jesus said, I will become the one who provides atonement for their sins. Jesus remained in the breach. And Jesus didn't just ask God to turn away his wrath, this coming judgment, but Jesus took it all on himself. And Hebrews 12, it says it brought him joy to do so. It brought him joy to redeem you and me. It was his joy. Do you feel like Christ is on the point of frustration with you? Then remember this, where others would throw up their hands and walk away, Christ draws near. This was the reason that he came to earth. To see the change and to work the change from sinner to redeemed. The thing that you fear will finally drive him away. If your faith is in Jesus, this is the very thing that draws him closer to cleanse you of that, to take joy in washing you clean, to heal your wounds, to dry your tears, to carve that out of your life. His purpose is to restore you to him. Loved ones, let Jeremiah's frustration and tears today not bring you fear, but bring you peace. Because you are appointed through his tears and through his frustration to the one who is his mirror image, the perfect prophet 
the Prince of Peace. As Jeremiah steps back because they applauded him and tried to kill him, your Lord stood his ground even more firmly and embraced betrayal and death. Embracing it with joy because he knew the fruit that it would bear. He knew that it would redeem his people, that it would cleanse you, and that it would bring you to him. So, in those moments where you fear that anybody else would become frustrated and give up, draw near to him. Keep coming to him. Know that the very thing you fear will drive him away will actually, drive, will actually bring him closer to those who look to him in faith because it brings him joy to remove that burden from you, to wash you clean of it, to present you as spotless before his throne. He endured the cross. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. Trust that he will cleanse you of that. Repent, turn from sin, turn to him, and believe in him who does not fail. Amen.